altitude's undefeated. Crap, we able to punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge time, I think. I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and I started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Putting the high line with Rabbi in red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Hello, Rapids fans. You're listening to Holding the High Line. My name is Matt Pollard. Um, Happy New Year. It is officially, by the time you're recording this, we'll be in 2024. So hopefully going back to work, going back to school, nursing, whatever you may have did um, in excess on December 20, uh, 31st was not too crazy. But um, I know we said that we were done with 2023, but I think it's time, given the timeline of events that have happened since last time Mark and I podcasted for us to put a proper bow on this bizarro, ridiculous season and then just never speak of 2023 ever again. And to do that with me, joining for possibly his final act as his current role at the Denver Post, Brendan Plone. Brendan, hi. Happy New Year. Howdy, Matt. How are you, my friend? I am in, uh, I guess this would be extra time of uh, the full-time whistle is looming for, for my Time at the post. I filed my final two stories. I am proud that my fourth and or fifth cap of holding the high line uh, will be my. We're in extra time. Full time whistle is looming, and uh, it, I'm happy to break down what we've got on the show tonight. Yeah. So Brennan and I were chatting, folks, um, uh, about this. Um, first, I should say this was an unplanned episode. And some of our best content does come when someone has a recommendation that can come from a highliner, that can come from someone who's wanted to come on the show, that can come from someone else in the Rapids Colorado soccer media space. So all of this I'm I'm giving the the brainchild behind this idea was all Brendan's idea. So if this goes well, it is all on him. And if this goes horribly wrong and we delete this episode in two weeks, it is also all of Brendan's fault. But 2023 was a tumultuous year for the rapids but significant in so many interesting storylines that in the minutia that is what holding the high line lives for and then also from just a general soccer standpoint and so i think it was worthwhile um given brendan's post um for the denver post which i will link in the show notes for you the top 10 colorado soccer stories of 2023 from scandals to world cup breakthroughs soccer in colorado will always have its moment in the sun. That's the byline there from Mr. Plone. Um, and so I think it was worthwhile of us talking about this and almost doing like not a debate of necessarily Brendan, your top 10 stories, but an anthology of just the ridiculousness of what happened this season, both Rapids related and otherwise. Absolutely. I mean, when we think about 2023, I mean, I wrote it the other day, just the amount of fans that will be so thankful the ball drops into 2024 and say, 2023 is done with, we're moving on, is going to be immense. But also, it's fair to reflect on the crazy year that was. And considering everything that happened from a statewide soccer landscape, I think it's important to note. And I also just love kind of just like reflecting back. I did this last year um, in 2022. And it was also just really fun to just reflect and like, oh my gosh, 
The amount of things that happen in the state on a yearly basis in the span of 12 months is outrageous. And when you think about it, whether it's Rapids, whether it's the women's soccer space, 2023 was, at least for me, it stands out as a year unlike any other, really, for for the soccer community um, for so many reasons. And I cannot wait to break it down with you. Yeah, so I, um, let's get into it, Brandon. So I'm, I'm going to say, listeners, that we are going to recap 2023. I realize that probably 47 to maybe 97% of you have already hit delete on this. But so yep, we're, we're yep. going to, I uh, I know Mark's not here, Brendan, and normally he is our, um, he's our union rep to where Mark and I have to, you know, uh, do our votes on something as far as HTHL legislation is concerned. But I think we can officially say uh, the purpose of this podcast is to look back on 2023, bury the hatchet, and then never discuss this ever again. 2023 is dead, and we are burying it in, um, you know, you know, we are, um, I'm totally fumbling with my words right, with my words right now. We are going to, like, it, it's, it was easier for like a maximum security jailbreak than it will be for 2023 to get out of the, um, you know, tomb that we are um, embalming it in and then ceremonially and with dark magic, like burying at the bottom of the ocean. Um, uh, Brendan, where do we want to start? I feel like there's so much rapid stuff and I don't want that to consume all the time. So the biggest competition in world football for me, still in 2023, has to be a World Cup regardless of men's or women's soccer. So let us start on the woe snow front, Brendan, where we kind of have this juxtaposition between several breakout and um, several breakout players within NWSL, that leading to more Colorado representation on the national team. Some of that are players that are becoming more elevated, Sophia Smith. Um, I think she won the golden boot, at least for the women's national team at the World Cup, because they didn't score a whole lot of goals and she scored a bunch of them. Lindsay mm-hmm. Horan was the co-captain alongside Alex Morgan. And there's no question that there is going to be Colorado representation here to stay on the women's national team. And then you tie that onto a bow with hopefully you're wearing the scarf here. This is an auditory podcast. You can't see Brendan wearing the scarf listeners, but he has on a uh, Fort Denver FC scarf. And so all of that kind of culminating, regardless of the failure of the women's national team down under, which for me did not come down to the Colorado players of finally now first division club soccer, hopefully coming to Colorado. And that's kind of a that's a one big kind of all encompassing uh, flow chart, Brendan, of, of how we get there from. Um, what's going on, and I think Woso deserves its moment in the sun, given how much the men's game has been frustrating for Colorado soccer fans this year. Yeah, I'd I'd say for me, hands down, the best part of 23 was covering the women's game, because, I mean, it's not every day that you get a local player uh, captaining the women's national team at a World Cup, but for Colorado, it's the second time it's ever happened. April Heinrichs did it in 91. Um, and then Sophia Smith, I mean, she was always poised to be this breakout player, but then when she did what she did against Vietnam and, uh, everything else, it was like, oh my gosh, we've got a world-class player who grew up in Windsor and is on the world stage. And it's crazy that it's all this is going on two weeks after the launch of four Denver FC by 
Lakewood native Jordan Angeli. Uh, I mean, the way that the city and really the state kind of rallied around them was amazing. But then if you, if you think about it, um, Mal Swanson was probably going to be the third piece of that puzzle and in the attack, and she got injured in the final uh, tune-up game ahead of the World Cup. Um, you had Lauren Donaldson, who is uh, leading Jamaica, or led Jamaica at the Women's World Cup. Um, he had so much joy. He helped them really reach the round 16, uh, the first time a Caribbean nation ever did that. And so, and then all on top of it, it was like, you had your normal NWSL players, which I think right now it stands at 18 uh, from the state, just making their own way into the women's soccer scene. And to me, that's like really inspiring for the foundation of uh, where at for Denver FC is at and where 2024 could be, which for me, I had, I think I had um, this, the story of, uh, for Denver FC as my number four, number five slot. Um, and in reality, if, if things could pick up in 2024, uh, which it sounds like they will regarding the expansion front, I think that will be the number one story of 2024. If, if from the kind of the pace and trajectory that things are moving at, um, in an instant, Denver could be the next NWSL city, which would be massive. I think the we'll we'll start we'll we'll go for a circle on here, Brendan. Um, so let's start from a youth movement standpoint. I think definitely the word is out about ta- anybody who's working in the Woso space absolutely knows about what's going on in Colorado. They know about Real Colorado. They know about Rush. And what happens with Ford Denver FC's potential academy? We'll see. But if you just if you compare it to like what. Colorado does for athletes and the athletes that we produce on a population basis, you know, like we are, there are more people in Los Angeles County than there are in the state of Colorado. I don't know how many metropolises in the state of Texas have more. And so I remember there was a really good article from, I don't remember when this was, I don't remember which outlet it was. I think it was MLSsoccer.com. It might've been the athletic, but basically they were looking at if you had, um, MLS competitions between the best 11s of every single state, either based on where people went to college or where people were from and where they played youth soccer, not necessarily where they were born. California, Texas absolutely dominated. Florida was coming up there as well. And then I can't remember what they did in terms of the Terps in Maryland and everything. Brendan, Colorado doesn't have the numbers. We're not full on. I think this was a Jeff Ruder article because he 100% had um, – he didn't have the goalkeeper field for Mississippi, but then he had Justin Mapp on all of the left-sided positions, and then he had Marlon Hairston on all of the right-sided positions. So on a per capita basis, Colorado is keeping up with in the soccer space, I think for the women's side and increasingly now on the men's side, is doing that on a per capita basis. And I think the key thing now is we're producing elite level talent. And you see that that is not a function of just so Smith, Sophia Smith being what she is um, or Lindsay Horan as well, that there is a girl right now at Colorado rush at real Colorado, who will be at a UCLA, a Maryland. I'm not off, off the top of my head. I don't know all of the, I don't know as many of the blue bloods when it comes to the women's game. You know, one of those girls, Stanford will, and Santa Clara. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. one of those girls who's, you know, 12 to 15 right now will get a D one scholarship to UNC 
We'll probably go win a national championship with the Tar Heels. We'll get drafted in the NWSL. We'll at some point play for or against for Denver FC in the stadium, and then we'll get called up and get at least one cap with the national team. I feel like that's a pretty safe thing to assume. And so I think now we're seeing that grassroots approach to where it's obvious in that hotbed is out there. And you compare that, Brendan, to say how recruiting has gone in the men's game and how it's not that um, Southampton or that Brentford or that Brighton and Hope Albion were doing um, anything revolutionary. They were just doing it better with a better level of efficiency and looking in places that other clubs and markets weren't necessarily looking at. We had a conversation with Forrick Smith, Mark, maybe, um, Brendan, excuse me. Uh, this was, this could have been six months ago. This could have been a year and a half ago. I can't remember. And he said that, and it was one of the South American countries. It was like, uh, it was Peru or Ecuador. I couldn't remember which. And he was saying that like, that's now been found out about, you know, like the, the French second division has scouts that are scouting um, those clubs and they have analytics on those players and they've got a short list of targets and they're going after a guy based domestically in Ecuador as well. And so in that same sense, Colorado has now found out. UCLA, um, uh, the Texas Schools, um, the East Coast Blue Bloods and everything. The ACC is absolutely scouting for both men's and women's scouting soccer players there. I think increasingly now those players are going to get respect when it comes to the NWSL. And certainly as we see from their culture and then from also their athleticism, which is still a component that I think is going to be important to the women's national team, though we do need to get better technically on the ball. And I don't know that on a per player basis that call the call it that Colorado's youth system is creating those players necessarily is that that is going to continue. And that now leads to, I don't know, you, you tell me Brendan to where are we now going to see, is there going to be more respect paid to the preps beat on that from a women's standpoint, when it comes to recruiting or potentially even a high school player getting a shout with the youth national team, I think it's an interesting question. Anything you want to say about that, Brendan, or can I wax poetically about Lauren Donaldson? Let's let's move on. Let's move on. So, uh, listeners, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I had no idea who this guy was until Brennan told me about him. And then Brennan wrote the article and you probably should know about it. Uh, Lauren Donaldson, um, originally from Jamaica, um, had a very short senior career based mostly in the States. Um, according to his Wikipedia page, he was with the Denver Kickers. I don't know if that was an indoor team. I don't know what was going on. According to his Wikipedia page, he had one cap for the Foxes in 1997. That immediately makes him a legend in my eyes. And then he had assistance <laughs> experiences in uh, with the Foxes and then also with the Rapids as well. Most recently, he was uh, with the Jamaican women's national team, the Reggae Girls, as they're called, led them to obviously their best achievement that they've ever had when it comes to a uh, competition on the senior women's side, and he's now most recently been appointed the new head coach of Chicago Red Stars. So he obviously has Colorado connections. So not only is Colorado becoming more relevant, I think from a national team and domestically and even internationally, when it comes to um, the youth development standpoint on women's soccer, Brandon, you'll have to tell me if the lady buffs have done anything relevant to know whether or not we are relevant from a, yes. um, from we have, okay. Yeah. What, what, Taylor, what are the Taylor Korniak, uh, who was on the U S women's national team. Uh, she was, uh, just so close on, on making the world cup squad. She's a national teamer. Uh, she plays for San Diego. She went to see you. They've had a couple draft picks as well. Um, Savannah Coleman, uh, who 
was with them last, uh, well, I guess two falls ago now. Um, she was just a rookie in the end of sale this year. So, but yeah, uh, real quick on Lorne. Um, he's the president of Rail Colorado. He developed the likes of Sophia Smith, uh, Jalen Howell, Mal Swanson. I mean, shoot. And how many ever Coloradans are in the NWSL and happen to play for Real? I mean, he's going to be reunited with two former uh, players in Chicago that he previously coached at Real. So, yeah, he's and he also he started his coaching career at Metro State. So, like, he's a Denver, I mean, a Denver and Colorado coaching legend and arguably one of the best youth coaches in the in the country. And now he'll's. He'll be in, in Chicago. and He's at 68, but this is his first pro women's club coaching career uh, opportunity, which is wild. And the guy, he has so much joy and just so much passion for it. Hands down, my fr- probably my the happiest story I reported during the World Cup was just him leading Jamaica. I talked to Woldy Harris, the Rapids assistant, and yeah, said the same thing. Just coaches with so much joy is really attacking, just Let's his girls kind of play and boom, Jamaica round of 16 birth. Amazing. So yeah, hands down. Great story. So I think that speaks to another component, Brendan, where obviously I say this as a transplant who just celebrated my um, eighth anniversary of moving here to another transplant who I do a podcast with someone who is a transplant who moved here and then also moved away from Colorado, I think now there's enough of a network and enough going on in terms of not only the players coming out of Colorado, but what Colorado is doing from a soccer standpoint to now then people that have connections that do stuff in this space that aren't necessarily from Colorado or don't necessarily stay here are also becoming um, influential people in the space. Certainly, I think Lauren Donaldson is a representation of that. Um You know, I I still think it's going to be hard, Brendan, from a college soccer level. I say this on both the men's and the women's level for Colorado to maybe punch above its weight, just given where geographically the sport is going. Uh, Brendan, I'm going to assume I'm going to assume the buffs, all of their programs are moving back to the Big 12. Is that correct? Or is it just football? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So. So functionally in that regard, with my limited understanding, well, what's happening to Pac-12 soccer now? I don't I can't keep up with with all the college football stuff Um, where still a relatively isolated geographic state. We don't have any one of the major blue bloods. And, you know, it's one major power five school. If you're talking about CU and then TBD on what happens with the Mountain West or what's going on with um, CSU, uh, your uh, um, your uh, Denver Post Rapids beat reporter elect um, Braden um, uh, will uh, maybe has some insight on that. And then DU is capable of doing certain things, Brendan. But like we're going to I think for DU to maybe raise up its level, like we're, we're going to have to talk about it winning a national championship and then doing something off yep. of that. So college soccer is still going to be episodic and probably down to individuals not necessarily constantly churning out players in ways that regardless of what happens to Pac-12 soccer or what is going on with that, UCLA in 10, 15 years time is still going to be a powerhouse. Maryland could go independent in college soccer and still get elite talent and do everything. I'm going to be I'm I'm willing to bet that uh, at some point in the next five years, there's going to be a Virginia center back 
quarterback or D-mid who gets drafted out of MLS and is immediately a starter and is fantastic for his team as well. So those things are a little bit more entrenched. But I think where this really comes full circle is for Denver FC getting on the board and being a and really being a change agent. I don't know that we've seen. I think Wave did it. I've done a little bit in terms of the expansion, but I'm not sure that I don't know that we've seen the same bump or impact in raising of the level from NWSL expansion teams as we have from MLS expansion teams. Some of that comes down to infrastructure. The spending's different. They're completely different leagues and effectively completely different markets. Um, but, you know, I don't know that, you know, five, six years looking on it afterwards that Orlando Pride have had the same impact on the NWSL in ways that Orlando City has. And I feel right. like... I feel like NWSL Denver, if they get the right location, if they get the right stadium situation, if they get figure out stuff from an ownership standpoint, and then if maybe, they get the bid. Yeah, hey. okay. Okay, yeah. let's start with um I could see where given how much hype there is around Denver, given how much hype there is around what ownership is happening. I've spoken to so many people, the equalizer, who talk about, you know, they go through and they do their media stuff either on media day or for NWSL Cup or where everybody's in the same place and they're just asking a bunch of rapid fire questions. And the number one market that everybody wanted to see in NWSL was Denver. Players are going to play here. They're going to move here. All these things. Brandon's making a face. He didn't know this. Yeah, everybody wants it. Everybody wants an expansion team in Denver listeners. Um, so I, I could see where that moves the needle from NW. So I'll, I'll amend my previous statement. I do think Angel City have moved the needle and their connection with LAFC certainly um well, but and, so, and Kansas City with their new stadium yes I mean, right yes that's also the second iteration of Kansas City yeah so, so I, I I wouldn't count that in the in the same we're we're starting fresh from this standpoint Brendan and we're also starting fresh in a market where um where there's more of a swell up like we've seen from the um from some of the MLS markets as well. And so I think that we'll see Woso come full circle in terms of every tier of the pyramid and then really having a platform to then represent and show the different that Woso has made. Last thing that I'll say on this, Brendan, then we can move on. Or if you've got something else to say, you can. Um, my one concern that I have with this, uh, listeners, I did some reporting on the um, fan um, uh, town halls that the rapids were doing earlier and one thing that didn't make it into the piece because it wasn't super relevant but i've gotten on pretty good authority from several people who are at several different of those meetings um at one point nw snell comes in comes up and they ask about what um and the company that was doing it uh was asking rapid season ticket holders what they would think about that or what they would want to see from it and one of the questions that was posited in several i don't know all of if it was in all those meetings was their likelihood to support it if ksc was involved and overwhelming like when rapid season tickled holders are like, I want nothing to do with an NWSL team if KSE is involved because I know that they're going to ruin it. Like that was a standout moment for me or a standout takeaway in terms of that that obviously had nothing directly to do with the Rapids. Um, Brendan, I don't know if you've heard anything. Every, everything that we've gotten from both sides that we've spoken to is they were open to discussing, but there's nothing official 
And I think Jordan Angeli knows enough about how things work at the Rapids above her to know there are better people that they can partner with. And having this team long-term being at DSG is probably not the best decision. And that's really the only big concern. Can they get the ownership and can they do it without KSE money? And if they do that, I have no doubt, Brendan, that this is going to succeed eventually for uh, for Denver SC. Yeah, uh, I'll just say that uh, from, from what I've heard, um, it sounds at this moment, um, they're absolutely aiming to be in have a totally separate entity of uh, ownership model and not be tied to uh, an MLS model like like other teams have, have, have done. So at this moment, I mean, it's. New Year's Eve 2023. So un- until uh, we find out more officially, uh, that's all I-, I can say. But from what I've heard and you, what you've heard, it sounds we're hearing similar things where it, it could be uh, it. It's, it sounds like it's a no go with KSE and it, they wanted this to be organic. Marketing has been organic. Everything about this has, has been organic. So to me, the signs point that it will be an organic uh, separate leadership group. The only thing that I really could see any kind of partnership going on, Brendan, I say this as someone who's in, you know, who's up to date in land development, and everything. I've wondered, Brendan, if at some point with all of my connections in the utilities and all the backroom deals and everything, could I find out what's going on with the Denver Broncos stadium situation? And is that something that I'd be willing to leak from like a sports? That'd be my biggest scoop ever. That'd be bigger than any rapid scoop I will ever get probably. But so the, uh, the only thing that I could think coming up is when they look from a venue standpoint, what are they looking at from a footprint from a um, access public transit parking situation? And Mark and I did a uh, pandemic lockdown evergreen episode where we talked about what happens post DSG if the Rapids ever decide to leave Commerce City. And I have a um, I have pretty good software I have access to from the day job in addition to Google Earth. And it's the whatever the largest parking lot by footprint that I think is a due southwest of the can Pepsi Center Ball Arena the footprint of DSG fits inside that parking lot. There's a bunch of stuff that would have to happen that have to, what they would have to do from a parking standpoint. But so obviously Elitch gardens is turning into a whole bunch of housing, commercial and uh, development there. But is there something else that's going on from KSC from a land standpoint to where that gets involved? Or if the, and the only other thing that I could think of, and this wouldn't be KSC directly, I guess this would be Mrs. Cronky by the Walton's ownership with, um, with, uh, with the Denver Broncos, Brendan, of if we ever, if by the time this does materialize and we're looking at an NWSL soccer specific stadium, are the Broncos in the process of leaving mile high and leaving that land as well to where then that becomes available. I don't think it's viable given there's an existing soccer stadium, but if you look at the size of the venue from a NWSL standpoint, I think would be attractive for a number of other events that they could have that mile high otherwise would be just too cavernous for. And then do we see some real estate, some commercial development, some affordable housing, and then obviously a smaller stadium that needs a much smaller footprint and a much smaller parking footprint. That's the only other things where I think really um, for Denver FC would have to maybe sell their soul away or work with corporate people outside of maybe the the vibes that they're going for. 
I want to touch on college soccer really quickly, Brendan. We already talked on Buffs and CSU, and I don't know who who knows. Maybe the Rams move to the Big Twelve at least for college soccer. Um, Braden Norris keeps I see his tweet stuff, and apparently their women's team is absolutely crushing it. But we've got some good news on the DU front, Brendan, and I think particularly for college sports is still so much kind of dependent on the CEO type figurehead that you see. I think this is true for football, basketball. I think increasingly now we're seeing it with soccer. Bruce Arena did it for better part of a decade with UVA. Siggy Smith did it in UCLA. We're seeing that in some of the other um, markets as well. And I think it's important to look at what's going on on the women's side. And really the person who's made the Pioneers men's program what it is, is also staying. Yes, Jamie Jamie Franks. He uh, signed a new multi-year extension in the spring. Um, And then this year, I mean... He uh, he was a big part of. I mean, he's the head coach. He's he loved his time at DU, um, and I know he's obviously was instrumental in from year one when he helped reach uh, the College Cup with them. But he's staying. Um, everybody who he coached this year, um, he, they had three preseason All Americans, and I think all three of them got hurt actually. But um, the DU men, despite it all, crushed it. I think they meet reached the. This round of 32, um, another heartbreaking exit, but Jamie Franks is here to stay. Sounds like everybody from DU is going to be back. Nobody got drafted in, in the Super Draft. And then on the women's side, um, they've got a new head coach in Julian uh, Sitch. Um, and she was the, if you, you right rem- remember, um, she became the first female coach to win a men's national title. She did that last year in 2022 with... Um, University of Chicago. She came to DU this spring. Um, they just fell short of the NCAA tournament, but DU women's soccer is also in a strong spot. So uh, good for the Pios, good for the program, college soccer. It's a great way to watch local talent, men's or women's. And if you like the Bassett Bros, you can go watch Sam again because he'll be back. He's an, an, an All-American with Jamie Franks. And so, he will, yeah. uh, Brendan, so next year, so this coming fall, he will be a junior, correct? I think so. Yes. Okay. Um, is there any? I'm wondering. I I would have thought if he was an maybe maybe he'll be a senior. But either way, his the end goal for next year's national national title or bust. I think that's fair. The the one concern that I have on Sam Bassett, I liked what I've seen from him, Brendan. When I've seen him play in games, um, Summit League obviously doesn't maybe have the same, um test in terms of talent um i mentioned i think on the draft review pod that one of the concerns that i have about kamani stewart baines is that none of his goals were actually scored against big 10 opposition granted he got a lot of assists against big 10 opposition worthy i don't know any other freshman who would have been big 10 um uh rookie of the year or freshman of the year or anything i don't know brennan was there anybody good on indiana but so I, i like what i've seen from sam bassett i think he's a very very good college soccer player there are a lot of things there that are very similar about what he does to what Cole Bassett does I think he is distinctly a different player and becoming his own player it's not necessarily a carbon copy of his older brother but I do have to wonder there's a part of me that is a little bit concerned that um I've I've seen this before for players at the DU level who I think are great, I think have MLS potential, and then it doesn't work out. This has happened at the Rapids. This has happened at other teams as well. And so I'm just kind of wondering, like, I feel like there would have been there, there would have been a higher, higher, a higher peak for him 
in his time so far du that would have that could have dissuaded that or we would have seen the rapids more actively pursue um him getting uh getting him to a homegrown contract i haven't spoken to sam bassett directly it's been a while since i've checked in with any of the bassett um extended family now that i say that and so i don't know um we've seen it where these players where their education is extremely important to them and maybe that's something that he personally is emphasizing to where it makes sense for him as brian crookham has quoted multiple times to us brendan it's every single one of them is an individual case and you could have it where every single one of sam vines siblings could be in the rapids academy and every single one of them would have their own independent plan that is not particular to the fact that any of them are related to their older brother who's now obviously playing in Europe and on the outside of the national team. Just got back into the team as well. I don't know if you saw listeners over the festive period. Um, Sam Vines has returned to the starting 11 for Royal Antwerp. Um, so hold off on the selling him to Scandinavia or whatever that's happening next. So um, that's the one concern that I have. That's the one curiosity I should say that I have about Sam Bassett Brennan, where I've seen this story before and have it not really work out. Um, that being said, he has a whole nother year. There's another gear that he could get to. I had no idea who Andre Shinyashiki was 10 months prior to his senior year. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not hating on Sam. Anything non-Rapids first team related that we want to get to, Brett? Then, okay. Um, I mean... So I'll, um, I was going on a little bit of a rant before we hit the record button, listeners. Lead, and lead us off with with <clears throat> uh, lead us into the Rapids twenty twenty three storylines, Matt. I mean, just listener like twenty twenty three, like WTF? Oh, like there were so <laughs> what a many cluster. What there, a cluster. There, there were so many crazy things that happened that I think in any other individual year would just be the Rapids MLS WTF moment or WTF storyline of it. And so I was talking, so I, I think it would be instructive for me to talk about like, just do like a brief, like one or two sentences on every single season that I've covered the Rapids and like what stands out from that. First year in the press box was 2016. 2016, obviously keep fighting. Pablo Mastroeni, everything that they did, almost could have won the Supporter Shield, could have hosted MLS Cup, came up a little bit short. Um, <clears throat> but that team embodied what Pablo Mastroeni was. Um, but where, where I'm getting to it, listeners, where there's some loose ends in 2023, all of these other seasons I'm looking at with some level of hindsight, which is then going to inform how I feel about those storylines and everything. Fundamentally, the thing that was disappointing about 2016 that I think we can now say also about 2021 is that it was magical. It was wonderful. We had a lot of absolutely fantastic moments, lots of great memories, but fundamentally those two years that the Rapids outkicked their coverage, they overperformed and they regressed back to the mean. And so a lot of how we feel about the people around that team is we'll always have that year, but it didn't lead to a trophy. And so that was disappointing. You know, I, I wrote in my Jack Price, um, departure piece like we will always have 2021 if danny wilson is sold tomorrow brendan i will say we will always have that 2021 version of danny wilson we will always have the scottish salmon but it still feels a little bit hollow and so as great as 2016 was at the end of the day 2017 happened it was uh the team got gutted they were clearly trying to rebuild on the fly pablo Mastroeni was the scapegoat and as a result he is now much more successful and getting paid more i don't know if he's getting paid more money but he has more budget to work with at rsl so 2016 is in the high side 2017 was a pivot year we felt really bad so much about that year is just providing posthumous context onto 2016 2018 was a continuation of the rebuild there were too many new players that came in some of them worked some of them didn't 
Um, that was a prequel to us understanding that Anthony Hudson was not a very good coach, and that also gave us Eigner Gates, which was a fantastic weird story that we can rehearse and look back on, Brendan, but ultimately became, it expired in terms of at the forefront of our mind as soon as Anthony Hudson was fired in early 2019. 2019 was a chaotic year for the team and up and down on the pitch. But in terms of the off the field noise and everything, the only thing that you really had was the process going through the coaching search. You know, two draws, 11 losses to start league play. Anthony Hudson is fired. Obviously, that very famous, you know, soundbite. If there's any one thing that I think is you're going to remember about 20 uh, about 2019 you know it was fighting at the bottom with the bottom group of players and so then obviously Connor Casey comes in Kai Kamara was fun that was the start of the outbreak for Diego Rubio as well we saw the start of several acquisitions Brendan of players that ultimately became important for the 2020 and the 2021 season and then Robin Frazier coming up but in terms of like off-field noise in terms of like the distracting stuff in terms of like a literal dark cloud descending on training because max alves was removed from team activities for possibly gambling and match fixing against it there was none of that there was chaos on the field there was up and downness on the field but maybe the only thing that really had brendan was the prairie dog plague slightly outside the stadium that affected that one game against Montreal. So I'll remember that that was chaos in a moment, but for the most part, it was between the white lines, between the whistles for 2019. 2020 was chaotic again for a bunch of other reasons, but everything that we have to look, everything in life was chaotic in there. And so I don't know that we can look at the rapid season individually and say outside of the impacts of the pandemic that it was anything more chaotic in that regard. They got back to the playoffs. Yay, that was fantastic. We saw a lot of resiliency within the organization. We saw, I think, the start of Drew Moore's pivot from what he was as a regular player for the team to then moving on. But so 2020 was chaos for everybody. The Rapids don't stand out in that same regard. Brendan, there are podcasters and there are season ticket holders for other MLS teams who have no idea who Max Alves is, that if they read any of our articles or listened to any podcast about that, would be like, how did I not hear about this? Oh, right, because extra time and nobody else was covering that crazy. But also, like, it was buried in all of the other noise and all the other chaos that was the 2023 season. So we get to 2021. I feel about... Uh, basically everything that I said about 1617, I say about 2021, 2022, but like looking at it now, Brendan, more than a year after the 2022 season ended, like there's individual games that stick out. There's individual moments for players and everything. But like, other than that, it was just like, it was one big blur of mediocrity. If there's anything that really stands out for me, I think the beginning of the end of that Rapids team was like in hindsight, was probably that uh, 4th of July game against Austin. They were up 2-0 and they ended up losing the game 3-2. But like there are individual games, there are individual moments. I I could sit here and I could do a rundown right now from epic games from 2016, from disastrous results in the first year of Anthony Hudson, um, from the 2021 season that just stick out in my mind. And just there's so many, 2022 doesn't stick out in that regard. And so where I'm getting this now, listeners, is that every single one of those seasons, like some of them were mediocre, some of them didn't matter, some of them needed further context, some of them had WDF moments and everything. Like, I don't know if you've seen, Brendan, I got a couple joke gifts. Um, I, I went to a bunch of white elephants when I was home this past week and everything, and I saw one, one of the uh, picked up on my, on uh, the algorithm showed me that like you can buy like a famous book but then the cover, if it has people on 
on it is replaced with cats, and then all of the text in the middle is replaced with just the word meow. So like you could get like so you could get like Harry Potter the cat and the Philosopher's Stone, and it has the same number of pages and the same number of words per page, but it's just meow, 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 meow. And so it's just like the but instead of that, it's just chaos after chaos after chaos on the field, off the field, in press conferences, after training and everything. Like, there was nothing, like, in a season that happened three years after a global pandemic, there was nothing normal about the 2023 season. There was nothing stable about it, and there was nothing good about it. There's been turbulent moments. There's been turbulent seasons. The word of the 2023 season for the Colorado Rapids was turbulence. So, uh, Brendan, where do you want to start? Because, like, there's, like, the fact that, um, like, I would love to have had, like, a live discussion, Brendan, of the Burgundy Waves 2023 Rapids Press Corps Awards and, like, have people debate what was going to be the storyline. And I looked this up because I couldn't remember what it was because there were so many first place votes for different things. The winner ended up being the Max Alvis investigation and the C-38 boycott from the September game against the revolution ended up coming in second place. But like you could have gotten us all in a room together and like someone could have made an actually like coherent and compelling argument for the MLSPA investigation with the player grievance due to the pitch situation, like all of the crazy weather games and everything. Like, I don't know that there was a three-game period at any point this season that was quote-unquote normal. And I think that's really the inspiration behind. That was why when you texted me about the idea, I was like, okay, we have to do this podcast because I have to get this out for group therapy purposes and then just never get to talk about never. So I never have to talk about it again. But I, Brendan, I've been talking ladies a Ladies and gents. <laughs> Matt Pollard just cooked right. 2023 I, and his entire tenure on the beat. So, I, I don't know, bravo. Like, bravo. Like, I, I, I cooked it, Brendan, but it was also like, it, it's like one of those meals that like Bender serves to the humans in Futurama, <laughs> where it's like, I, I didn't intentionally do this. I'm not trying to kill all humans. I'm not trying to kill all Rapids fans, but like there's arsenic in this thing by accident because there's so many other, like the, 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 the Krabby Patty poison burger when the fake health inspector comes in has less going on in it than this, this stew of, turbulent chaos that is my depiction of this 2023 rapid season all right all right a hundred percent a hundred percent so i think we can both agree for me the theme of the 2023 season was unquestionably the badge the players the fans deserve better bravo c38 because when they reached that breaking point in mid-september that made national news. That was one of the MLS's probably finest and like finest genuine protests in like the best possible way. I mean, hundreds of you guys walked out versus New England. The banners were omnipresent throughout decision day. Shoot, even the mayor got involved. Uh, and also, Matt, the new mayor, Steve Douglas, just followed me on Twitter the other night. So that was fun. Maybe, uh, maybe he saw my, my DM him. Get scoops, Brendan. Yeah, that's right. He Pass does those scoops crazy... on to me. Don't send them to Braden. Yeah, he does have a crazy job to do uh, now with the Rapids. But the theme of the year for me was that. Um, the story of the year was Max. But like, I mean, shoot, Matt, we haven't even mentioned the fact that like there were six games that were 
postponed. I mean, I made it. I had viral tweets that went viral because the weatherheads found it and they're like, wow, this is really cool. I'm like, well, this is just an average night of the Rapids game. Somebody stormed the pitch in the middle of a lightning storm and it's just 2023. I mean, what do you expect? Um, this season was so weird and so much happened. I mean, like, it was so chaotic that, like, there's, there's honestly, this is, this is impossible where to break down of what the hell happened, but like, this was the weirdest season and the most disastrous season in club history. And to cover it all was a beautifying mess, but I loved writing about it because it was so much drama. So much drama. Loved yeah, it. I think uh, there was a point, Brandon, a few years ago, pre this was pre-COVID, and I was asked by somebody who worked for the club whether or not I cared about whether or not the Rapids won. And I said, functionally, in terms of how I do my job, the enjoyment and the process that I go through reporting on the team, no, because you could have MLS Invincibles win the treble, beat three Mexican teams in between Champions League and League Cup in order to win that. You, you could have this, you could have the season that Messi and Inter Miami are probably going to have in 2024. And I think there are as many humanizing and interesting and nuanced stories to tell, things to comment on, little tidbits, moments of humanity, Ted Lasso style that you can depict from that year as you could have from a season where just everything goes horribly wrong. Everything bad that could possibly happen could have there. And even then there's little more like we haven't even mentioned that Robin Frazier got fired and it wasn't his fault and he didn't deserve it. And he doesn't have a head coaching job anymore because of the stank of the rapids that are following him around through all of these interviews. And he's going to end up being an assistant (laughs) announced mid season to the LA galaxy next year after his youngest daughter starts, you know, enrolls at UCLA. And then in a year and a half, when Greg Vanny, he's finally fired robin's gonna get the la galaxy job and fully deserve it like we haven't even you know we haven't even talked about that i know like but so there's uh like there's little moments that are just like fantastic in that regard and so regardless of how bad the season was brendan like there was a really humanizing arc in terms of me albeit maybe i'm at fault here leading the charge of the um of the darren yappi hype train him not scoring a goal for the first team at all but then i I also was on the train yeah but then i would argue the most viral photo other than maybe um uh, columbus lifting back-to-back trophies there um in next pro was the was the photo that mark shake and burgundy wave and last word on soccer photog got of the close-up shot it's in what we now refer to his as his dom Baji spot brendan i don't know if you remember the um the spot where he got dom Baji scoring the goal against the rapids then putting up a little heart there's a spot that he likes to stand from that angle and so it's in that exact spot and everything and the clubs use that photo and it's gone viral and it like imperfectly encapsulated that and he says afterwards you know i've got like it destroyed all of my cons, all of my confidence. I had nothing left from what this season had and everything. Like there's little moments in that. Now, none of that matters if Darren Yappi then doesn't score a goal next year for the first team. But like there's, you know, there, there were little moments of that. Um, regardless of what Lalas Abubakar was on the field, him being open and up to talk about Ramadan. And I think now that being in the public consciousness of the MLS space, when Ramadan comes around and the Apple TV broadcasters start to talk about that rule and everything, there are all of those little moments. Moments that got. We, we waited until 1 30 in the morning to talk to Diego Rubio after yeah. leaks. 
there's there's so many yeah there's so many things that otherwise would be like the like if Eidner Gate had happened in this season, Brendan. If you know, let's say I don't, I don't know if I want to pick on a player. If Robin Frazier had had that with another player, and it wasn't one of, and it wasn't Navajo or Tavares because they were you know the two of the big hype signings to come in in the summer, and it wasn't Diego Rubio and it wasn't Jack Price and everything. Like I can't see that being bigger than what Eidner Gate was, and also it just would have straight been buried. Like if he okay, I'll I'll mention him now because we know it never would have happened, and he's also no longer a player anymore. If Eigner Gate had happened during the start of that bad run in the middle of May between Robin Frazier and Steven Betasher, that does not get on that does not get a vote. That does not get on the top ten WTF moments or anything. That was the number one thing from the 2018 rapid season that like sticks out to me in 30 years when I'm still doing this podcast and talking about like, Matt, what do you remember about 2018? Hudson came in. They got a bunch of players. Some of them sucked. There were too many changes and Eigner gate happened and it was a horrible mess and the club handled it poorly and Eigner was a jerk. And also Anthony Hudson like is bad at player management and everything. And he could have done something better in that regard. And Eigner, you know, whisked off on a, you know, a midnight international flight on uh not um not Luftwaffe because I know I always mix up these two Brendan I Lufthansa is the airline I I, I had a um I was talking to I my the two times that I've been in Germany and I've met another American in market and we were talking about what we were doing in our itineraries and everything that we asked what airline you flew on and in my brain I said Lufthansa but I said out loud Luftwaffe and one of those and so, two of those Americans were a couple who were at Dachau with their daughter and they were Holocaust survivors. And I basically wanted to get a shovel and bury myself on the ground right there because I said, like, yes, I took Luftwaffe here to go here to Regensburg. And then now we are going to and then now we are at Dachau. Dachau uh, was a work camp. They didn't actually have Jews there, but they're bad stuff. Google it if you want, listeners. You know about the Holocaust and you know about the internment camps. Um, and you know about Irvin Mokfry. In any case, that was a really dark corner that we took, Brennan. But so like the, like, I, like Eignergate would have gotten buried in this season. Oh, yeah. The Prairie Dog play game would have gotten, I guess that would have been a footnote in addition to all of the lightning games. But like all the lightning games blur together at this point, Brennan. The only... Oh, yes. 100%. I'll remember the Vancouver one because I wrote an article specifically about the timeline of what that went like. And I use that now as my barometer. Here's what it like. it's like being in an MLS game during a rain delay for a game that ultimately doesn't happen. I believe that was also the game where William Yarbrough came out at, you know, quarter yep. to midnight, full kit, thank the players. But like the the only one that's going to stand Portland. out. Portland for me, that's the one that stands yeah, out. Yeah, Portland's the one that's going to stand out from all I, of the I, others. Well, that's the one that's stu- that stood out because I didn't make the forty-five minute second game, uh, but I did make the July fourth game, and uh, my dad was in the stands. And since it was delayed, I'm like, ah, come up and see where I work. So we got a photo together, and uh, Rap- Rapids Com staff weren't too happy about that, but you know what? It was a great moment for posterity. And now I'm off the beat, so it's great. It's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, but yes, that's... And then, oh yes, of course. How could we forget? I mean, I remember watching this on the broadcast. Uh, the iconic moment between Gio and Robin of what a total waste of time. Mm-hmm. Well, shit. Yeah. Iconic. 
Um, I mean, other like the the other stuff right now for me, Brennan, in terms of what's going to stick in my mind from a historical standpoint for 2023, there's still a lot of loose ends. Like I Captain think the, Jack leaving, <clears throat> yeah, Ada and Diego out. Yeah. So the so the key departures, I think the the how we feel about that, the the post mortem, the um. I'm totally fumbling with like the the word on like the the jury's still out on those moves because those players could end up being the the particularly for Rubio and for Price the injuries could be so significant that they never come back to what they were um, say summer of 2022 for example and certainly not 2021 and then maybe the Rapids you know are you know bringing a player that is certainly relevant from that standpoint you know it was really hard to or no. It was easier to it was easier to move on from Kai Kamara when you saw what he's done at the other clubs since then, which is something that he had done at the clubs prior to the Rapids. And also with what Diego Rubio was able to do, sans him and what the Rapids Rapids were able to do attacking wise when they weren't dependent on Kai Kamara. So I still think the jury's out on what does that void look like in terms of Jack Price's departure, obviously significant in terms of his tenure with the club coming to the end, but maybe they end up getting a good replacement. You know, the I was really sad at the time, Mark, at the time, Brendan, about Sam Cronin leaving the club. And that was easier to get over when he goes to Minnesota, has issues with concussions, and then basically fades out. I think that 2018 season, or 2017 or 2018 was probably, I I feel very confident, having not looked at his Wikipedia page in the last three years, that Sam Cronin was not playing soccer in MLS as of 2019. So in hindsight, and you replace him then with Jack Price, that's easier to feel about in that regard but like the ironically i think the biggest story and the two that are going to stick most in my mind that stand out that were my one and two vote for story of the year um and got the rapids in the zeitgeist brennan you, you know how irrelevant you know how chaotic everything that was going on around the club and how irrelevant the club was on the pitch in this season when there are so many ways in which the Rapids penetrated the zeitgeist of greater MLS despite being terrible or penetrated the Denver sports, Denver media space or got covered somewhere nationally or internationally with how much wonkiness was happening. Like, the, you know, like whether Twitter caught on to what you were covering when Chris Bianchi had too much stuff to cover in that regard. Like the 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 outlets that cover arsenal based in london covered the boycott because it was an easy click to say rapids fans are mad at stan cronky like i'm sorry max alvez got international coverage as well eignergate brennan was not a term that people are googling or people are saying outside of the 303 area and if it is it's people who've specifically talked to me and heard that term as well people know about what went on with max alvis they know about what went on with the boy count they know about what went on with the crazy weather stuff the fact that the rapids one of those games was moved because of a hurricane and then a tropical storm involving lafc who were mls cup champions at the time certainly helped in that regard but where it's the where this season is still going to stick in the mind it's just like how many other things that weren't the team that were wild and crazy and that other people glommed on to in the absence of actually caring or following the team because of its irrelevance. But so the two that I'm still uncertain about is what the heck's going on with Max with a lot of these Brazilian outlets. Uh, I'd say at least half of which I'm not taking at face value, Brendan. 
And then the other one for me, well, I'll say that there's a third one as well. Um, we're going to get a good postmortem on uh, Robin Frazier's stock, I think, is either going to go up or go down, depending on what happens afterwards on this. And I think still, I think Rapids fans know how they feel about Porrick Smith and everything. But like, if the team is as bad this coming year as it is last year and everything, like, I've been saying for months that the person most responsible for the failures on the field in 2023 was Porrick Smith. And I think most of the fan base is with me on this. And if there's anybody who's still detracting on that, I think we're going to get answers to those questions in 2024. But then what's going on with the boycott? Because I don't know, Brenda, you tell me That's... if you've heard any differently. I, I'm not convinced that ownership is changing their approach or the way that they operate off of what happened on the field or what happened off the field in that regard. And so I think, unfortunately, the thing that's going to be, you know, that that photo is going to oh, stick yeah. in my mind. It is going to get recycled through of the, the the various shots of the banners from that September night and then um, from the games that followed as well is that I think ultimately I think the impact could very well be zilch because of just how KSC operates and where the Rapids are in that landscape. And I think unfortunately but then also also just real quick from an MLS wide perspective, I feel like the MLS community that was probably one of the more nationally respected protests in the history of the league from a fan protest standpoint of where they understand it, even if it, in the long run, you're you're right, it doesn't really really bring the difference that they were they're saying um but from a national pr perspective i think like from a all-time mls fan protest perspective that will go down and will be remembered as you're as you're saying those images from that september night will be recirculated again and again and again so continue but ultimately it'll be it'll be completely irrelevant brendan so i've yeah. been listening to um i listened to a podcast series um that covers historical events. And so for they didn't do a, an episode on Christmas for the week of Christmas, they covered the Christmas truce from uh, yes. from World War One, World War One. Yes. And so it's a functionally in terms of the grand scheme of the Great War, Brendan, it was completely irrelevant because for the overwhelming majority of the soldiers who were involved in that spontaneous, non-coordinated, varying experience and everything uh, stuff returned to normal by dusk on Christmas Day, if not Boxing Day and everything. And so it's this wonderful footnote with a few photos, a few stories, some um, uh, romantic uh, romanticism and hyperbole around there. If we look at the the Sainsbury's ad um, from a, a couple of years ago, um, where um, where they kind of where they take some uh, creative licensing and some Hollywoodification of that but so it's a nice moment for something that ultimately didn't move the needle and this was a brutal struggle that was wrought with death and everything and took many more years in order to get sorted out Brendan. and so i'm i'm worried that 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 we're gonna think sentimentally from that standpoint oh that was a good job by the supporters that was something to where the rapids fan base got respect in the other min, um, media standpoint if it doesn't lead to change in operations from an ownership standpoint then ultimately it was all for not. And I think unfortunately, ownership knows that they can wait this out. And if the team's hovering around ninth next year, then it'll roll down. And it took so much. Like, I can't emphasize this enough as someone who's in deep with a few of the guys at C38 of like in past years when things have been bad or when it's been good year, bad year, good year, bad year, rebuild, rebuild, rebuild of, you know, how much like internal debate about we can't even get on the same page about how we feel about the state of the club or the direction it's going. 
We can't get on the same page about what we want to go about doing this. And then finally, like all of those bickering, all of those debating people were finally in agreement. This is so bad. We have to do something. This is an effective way we as a group can do it. And leadership was unified and the fan base was unified. And like the, I, I don't know a lot of people, Brendan. There are people who have renewed their season tickets. There are people who chose to wear black, go to the tailgate who wanted to stay and support the team. So there's varying views about how do we protest in a way that shows that we are against the front office in the York short and up, but ways that does not alienate the players on the pitch. And there's a nuanced conversation about that. I don't know outside of that one guy who was looking to move the banner and then it quickly got put back up that like, I, I don't know that there's like who here, if, if we were to do Twitter polls on, you know, at Brandon Plone, at LWS, Matt Pollard, HDHL, Burgundy wave and everything like for boycott against boycott completely thought that like, It'd be 95-5 at best in terms of lack of support of that. You know, the, you know, like it'd be an overwhelming majority. And so like, we're going to romanticize about that. But if it doesn't lead to any change, I think unfortunately something more drastic is going to have to happen. And I don't know what that looks like, Brendan, unless you go full um, DC Ultra Screaming Eagles of just straight up not showing up to games. Do you tailgate in the area? Do you move the tailgate somewhere else to like show the absence of the impact that you have and everything? Or is this just going to have to be a gradual decay of season ticket numbers and revenue? And then even then, is that really going to move, you know, the needle and everything? I was at, um, you know, I was at Pidsmus and everything. I want to be clear, listeners. I do not condone this. If you do this, you are not a member of the Rapids community. Holding the high line will no longer accept your money and everything. Brendan, if Rapids fans were to January 6th DSG at the home opener next year, that would get a response from ownership and from the league. Again, do not do that. I would not support that. But so I'm, I'm wondering, Bars. so there's a, so th- there's a, there's a boundary between what was done last year and then something drastic, Brendan, which is bordering on violence and destruction of property and something very, very horrible that is inhumane and beneath us. And there's a space in the middle of what do you go about doing that? And if things don't change, I have to think that then C38 is going to have to do that. And was was September 21st, 2023, lightning in the bottle to have that, that ultimately isn't going to affect anything in the ways that the lightning in the bottle of one German soldier yelling across the trench to a Brit, uh, and then they meet in the middle, and then a spontaneous pickup soccer game happens, and they take a photo of them getting haircuts because one of them knows their own barber and everything. And this will be a fun thing that we romanticize around an event that was ultimately functioning around death and destruction and pain and the lack of an ability to rise above that and lead to change. I realize that I'm comparing the Colorado Rapids to a world war right now. That's not lost on me listeners, but no, like the that's that's. And so are, are we going to have that moment? But then because we had Eigner gate, Brendan, and the thing that moved on from that was that a player left, and the head coach was fired, and they brought in better players and better coaches and a better culture to where an Eigner gate would never happen. I don't know that things are in motion now to where another C-38 boycott would be avoided or head off, let alone addressing the actual uh, causes of that, not the actual symptoms. And so those that is something that is carrying over for me. You know, Max could get, uh, the, you know, the Rapids could buy out Max tomorrow, and that would end that discussion that would then be something that I look at distinctly in the past. But this is something from 2023 that's lingering over for me in ways that all the other stuff I want to be like, that was a fun, that was type two fun as a sicko and a rapids media masochist that I never want to live through again. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a hundred percent spot on. But also say uh, like covering it and with everybody on press row at the time and seeing how like the impact that it got felt like profound and it feels like it will be a to me the home opener will be just so oh my gosh just so fascinating on so many levels to see what transpires throughout the year and it's going to be a hundred percent one of the storylines to follow for 2024 but 2023 it left a profound impact on the state of the club and it stuck with players, it stuck with management, it stuck with upper management, and it stuck with media members. Yeah. And to me, like, kudos, because it takes real courage to do that. And no matter what happens in 2024, the seed has been planted with where things are right now. Mm-hmm. And whatever happens in the future, great, but there's now a precedent for something bigger to grow out of it. And hopefully it's it's a positive change. Yeah. Does does twenty twenty four become a scar that gradually fades over time, or is it a wound that still that still needs healing in ways that I feel like like I feel like the Hudson era were far enough away from that, Brendan, and that's been enough healed and overturned and everything that that is now a scar there's still a lot of wounds from 2023 that 2024 and potentially beyond are going to have to address i don't have a lot of answers in terms of how that's going to look um and but at the same time i i want nothing more than to move on from everything that happened um from this year and i think unfortunately some of the stuff is still very much going to haunt us given the just the outstanding the loose ends on all of these crazy um storylines in this turbulent soup it was uh, 2023. We're a little early to talk about that, Brendan. But first of all, um, anything that you want to say now that you're leaving the Denver Post and um, given that you're now no longer on the beat and any tea that you want to spill here as an HDHL exclusive? Ooh, um, let's see here. To, to I guess to least my, favorite I, player to interview person that you're person associated oh no. with the Colorado Rapids. You're oh no. most excited to never have to directly interact with again. Um, probably somebody, one of the younger players on the team, because like I cover preps a lot. Um, and honestly, high school players, when they're passionate, have better answers than some of the younger homegrowns on the team. I need a name, Brendan. Is it okay? Is it Sebi or is it Ollie? Neither. Neither? No. Is it Darren? Is it Darren Yaps? Yaps, listen, listen. You're you're young. You'll grow. Um, but yeah, I it. He wasn't not not my favorite, but it was just like all right. You know, his answers were kind of really brief, and which was fair. I get it. We're we're all teens, but um, I hope Yappy will grow into his media training. Okay. Um, any tea that you want to spill, or any um, any things you want to pour out for Denver Post, or any of your stuff now that you're leaving journalism, Brendan. Thank the floor you is yours. For, yes, thank you so much for to the readers and to the listeners and to everybody who ever read a single work uh, story of mine. My editors really appreciate you guys for because I I definitely poured my heart into this. It's something. It's a beat that I actually wanted to have since I was a teenager. Like covering pro soccer at a major metro newspaper was actually something that I wanted to do. And to be the guy, it was like more, it was so much more 
It was so much better than I could have ever imagined. Even with the chaos. I mean, like, I loved every single day of the job. And uh, working with all you guys was great. And every player that I interviewed, even, yes, Darren Yappy, you were all awesome, awesome people. Everybody at the club. I know it's a tough job, but y'all mean well, too. Um, and I just I just am really, really thankful um, for my two years. You know, there's always something to be grateful for. And for me, it's covering the greatest sport with the greatest people um, on press row. And two years that I will never, ever forget. That is for dang sure. So I'm, I'm going out on a positive. I'm a positive person. I think as crazy as it sounds, um, the Rapids will be better than expected in 2024. It's not going to be pretty. I know I predicted seventh this year. So what, what the heck do I know? So, uh, but I'm going to be an optimist and say, why the hell not? So, um, thank you for everything, Matt. And, uh, you've been a terrific, terrific friend. I am also very much open, uh, to being a resident, um, or whatever the, the equivalent of, of a, uh, college professor on uh extended leave what's that term again? adjunct or sabbatical it's one of those sabbatical things. i'm like a open to be doing a sabbatical a rapids away day sabbatical across the midwest so if you need i'm around i'm around oh, minnesota st louis kansas city uh and cincinnati so i i will be around because okay i've got the journalism bug guys what can i say i love newspapers and news and it's going to be hard to leave the beat. But that being said, Raiden Nurse, who's taken over, is absolutely going to crush it. Um, he's he's going to he's a senior, graduating senior at CSU. Uh, he was on the beat last year. You're going to love him. I mean, he's just really, really, really insightful. Always love to learn, and I have no doubt the beat is is in a great spot. Excellent stuff, Brendan. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, you got to stay on the invitation if you ever want to write something for Burgundy Wave. Um, and I'm sure, well, this is your fifth cap for holding the high line. I doubt it will be your last. So we'll see what's going on with that. But okay, I'm officially I'm banging the gavel here. Listeners, 2023 is dead. We'll never speak of this again. It never happened. We're all denying that it, uh, that it was even here and everything. We're moving on. 2024 starts now. Chris Armas era um and everything um brendan you kind of like you had a similar arc to you you, you were being a little ted lasso there moving home dealing with family stuff changing career stuff and but so um yeah here by it now 2023 is dead and hopefully other than the outstanding topics and everything um we're never going to talk about this ever again it didn't happen and hopefully the concerns that i have about lingering effects from this past year are sorted and then become a posthumous thing that we look back on and then chuckle and move on from and be better for it or better in spite of it in more case with that. All right, listeners, that's it. Um, if there's not any breaking news, Zach Seven doesn't sign. Don't expect to hear from us the rest of this week on Holding the Highline. Peace. Peace.